Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Corey Gardner. What is up, you guys? Welcome to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 115. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton, and joining me yet again is my teammate, Phil Dexter. Phil, what is up, my friend? What's going on, Josh? Happy to be here, as usual. Beautiful day down here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah, man, it is hot here in Indiana. Do you guys get any heat, heat, or has it got some, like, humidity to it? No, no, no. It's a, it's a scorcher. Literally right before this, me and my girlfriend were at the snow cone shop. So <laughs> it, it see, is a absolute scorcher. <laughs> see, it must be nice to have snow cones right now because I just gave myself a cheat week from the keto last week. So I'm done for about a month. Yeah, no, it was it was the perfect little break in the middle of the day. Absolutely. And as always, Phil, we couldn't do this show sponsored this year by our good friends from Beauty to Beast Nutrition located in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. Beauty to Beast Nutrition is a juice bar. They have all your protein coffees, your skinny shot teas, all the good drinks that are good, tasty, and healthy for you. Stop in, tell the owner, Natasha, that everything college basketball sent you. Get 10% off your entire purchase. You can't beat that. And Phil, we've talked about it for weeks now since Beauty to Beast Nutrition joined us. Good stuff. Make sure you get a mega. You'll be so disappointed if you get a regular. Get the mega. Yeah, it's great having them on board. Like I've said, you know, in past episodes, we really appreciate it. And I I wish I was somewhere in the area because I see all those pictures Natasha posts. And my gosh, those oat bowls look delicious. The smoothies, um, perfect way to start your day. Dude, I got a protein coffee, the Mega, last week. And you talk about energized, but you don't feel nasty with like that jitteriness that normal coffee gives you. Fantastic. Again, shout out to our sponsors this year for everything college basketball, Beauty to Meets Nutrition, located in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. Again, tell them ECB sent you. Get 10% off your entire purchase. But enough of that out of the way. We've been on a great run of big-time guests here lately. Davian Williamson, one of the best uh, guards in the country from Wake Forest, joined us. Four-star, uh, rising star, Rakees Passmore in the last episode. Now today, we are pleased to be joined by the former NCAA men's basketball national coordinator of officiating from 2008 to 2015 and longtime official himself, the one, the only, Mr. John Adams joins the show. John, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing fine, man. Doing good. And you, we were talking right before we went off air. Uh, you live just around the Indianapolis area, so you and I are sharing the same heat wave right now. I, I'm actually going to be in Edinburgh tomorrow on the oh. way to my son's uh, lake house, and I will stop in and have a smoothie. There you go. It is. Tell Natasha um, that, like I said, ECB sent you 10% off your purchase and get you a mega. The regular size are nice. They're just like the normal size drinks you would get. The mega are the big ones. They're only like $10. So with the 10% off, yeah, you'll get that dollar off. But it is fantastic. So good. Um, You'll enjoy that. Um, John, we're so happy to have you on. This is the first time we've really had. We've had coaches. We've had players. We've had other media members. Now we get to see it from a different perspective and listen to you describe and break down the the art of officiating. 
Before we get in that, we put out on Twitter and we put out on our Facebook group, which you just recently joined, by the way. So we appreciate having you aboard the ECB family on that. But we we posted, do you guys have any questions for Mr. Adams? What would you like to know? And the most common thing, people are so curious. They want to know about him. He's maybe the most, um, well, they call him TV Teddy for a reason, the most recognizable official in the last couple decades. People are so curious to know what TV Teddy Valentine is like. What can you share with us about TV Teddy? Uh, John, you still with us? Looks like we might have some connection issue. Oh, there, there he is. Johnny with us? Oh, uh, looks like we, looks like everybody, everybody's getting internet connection issues right now. <laughs> I'm getting stuff set up today. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things. I've I'm finally got my internet issues fixed. I think. Yeah, I know, man. The internet can be so weird. I, we see moving. If you guys are following along with us on the YouTube, the Twitter, and the Facebook page, you can see Mr. Adams. Um, looks like if we can get the sound. It looks like we're good. John, can you hear us? All right. Okay. We will, we will try to get this fit. Not muted on our end anyway. Nope. We'll go ahead and show the, the Facebook post here. Um, as you guys can see, if you're following along live here, we, uh, I wish this would show who the user is. Um, I think there's a thing to register, but talking about a big IU fan wants to know if he worked with Bob Knight directly. Hopefully we'll, we can get John's issues straightened out. And we can have this conversation. But until then, Phil, um, just kind of the landscape until we can get Mr. Adams uh, sorted out. Let's just talk about a little bit about the landscape of current college basketball. Um, you've been watching Cooper flag play. Uh, what You know, he is blowing up right now. Yeah, he is. Um, he was playing against Cam Boozer's team today. Um, at Peach Jam, his team got absolutely housed. Uh, I had the game on for a few minutes. I did not get much of a chance to see uh, too much of the game, so I didn't get to see the stats or anything like that. But, you know, those are two of the biggest 15 and under players right now for sure. Tons of NBA scouts in the building. But I think we might have John back. Yep, I think so. John, can you hear us now? Oh, just kidding. <laughs> um, But yeah, so along those lines, like I said, there was, from what I read, there was more NBA scouts in the building for that game than there were actual NCAA scouts and head coaches and stuff. So it just kind of tells you the opinion on those two guys that uh, if they do end up in college at all, it'll, it'll definitely only be for one year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Still can't hear him. It looks, we, his connection is fine. Just can't hear him for some reason, it looks like. Yeah, um, we will continue to work on that. But at Cooper Flag, though, uh, you mentioned the NBA scouts. People are raving about this kid. We watched him at the U-17 World Cup, and he just torched. I've seen um, – the. I think it's the game you're referencing. Scouts were there in attendance, and they said he had an easy triple-double. 
I mean, it wouldn't surprise me the way he looked in the uh, under 17s being the youngest kid there. Absolutely. Um, You know, while we wait for our guest, John Adams, to hopefully figure this uh, assortment out here. um, How about another kid? We just had him on, Rakeese Passmore. He is killing it on the AAU circuit this week. Absolutely. I mean, he's been killing it, you know, all all summer, basically, ever since uh, Triple Stripes started and having another big week to finish out this live pro- or uh, live period. Excuse me. Yeah, no, um, I've seen actually in attendance at his games, they said there was over 20, 25 different colleges there just to watch him. They said that every game so far he's put on a show. I mean, what a good what a good thing for that kid. I thought he was fantastic last week. Um, it's exciting to continue to see him be a rising superstar like that. Absolutely. And like I said, just being so young, it'll be interesting to see him at Montverde this upcoming season, sort of, you know, playing up with, with better competition. Um, very excited to just see what his future holds. Yeah. And how about his, uh, his, uh, teammate too, Silas Demery starting to oh, blow yeah. up a little bit. Yeah. Excuse me. Sorry. I, I meant combine Academy. Excuse me. I think I said Montverde. Uh, I think I still had Cooper flag on the brain. Um, but yeah, no combine Academy, uh, Silas Demery jr. You mentioned him. Uh, they have another kid coming in there, Colin Tanner and, you know, has been picking up D one offers left and right here the past couple of weeks, not too much power six interest yet, but I think that's on the way for him. He's not, you know, another fast rising kid. No, I, I mean, just blowing up right now. That They're going to have a great duo. Uh, John, can you hear us now? Do we maybe have this fixed? No, I don't think so. Got to love, gotta love uh, how the internet works, right? <laughs> I mean, in Wi-Fi, one minute you're fine, and the next minute it is just dropping. You got to love how this works. Um no, no, Silas Demery, though, and Rakeese Passmore are two kids that are completely rising the charts. Cooper Flag, we continue here about the DJ Wagner situation. And by the way, guys, I know you guys are following along with us live. Um, these things happen. We're professionals. You roll with the punches. So if you guys got any questions about upcoming season college basketball until we can get our guests up and going, uh, feel free to drop that in and we will return back to your questions. I know you guys have a lot to ask, Mr. Adams, as do we. We cannot wait to get this conversation up and rolling, but sometimes these things happen, so we'll make the best out of of the hand that we are dealt currently. But um, the whole DJ Wagner saga, now it's taken a new turn, Phil, where Drake, you know, the legendary Drake in some people's minds, <laughs> that uh, he's came out with his own, like, brand or branch of Nike. I think it's called Nocta, like N-O-C-T-A, I think is what it's called. And guess who is the first person as an ambassador? Uh, I think it might be DJ Wagner. It is. And guess who is a Nike school and who isn't? Um, I believe Kentucky is a Nike school. It if is. I'm not mistaken. It is. So speculation's been running rampant that that sounds like a good sign for the cats. But you also heard Kenny Payne come out and reiterate that he has a great relationship with Nike reps and officials that it's like the best of both worlds. So it's still that Louisville, Kentucky battle. Uh, we've talked about this, but it seems like every week there is a new little twist and turn that goes on with the DJ Wagner deal. 
Absolutely. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I think, you know, some people were kind of zeroing in and, and claiming that he was getting close anyway to making a decision. I think we're a long way off for, from a decision for DJ. I think he still has a lot of a lot to weigh. Um, I think you're not going to see anything until sometime mid-season at least. No, I do too. And Peyton's brought it up, and I think he's dead on. Um, he's not, in my opinion, he's not going to commit until he goes to Louisville Live until he takes that official visit and uh, officially gets swooned and swooped over and, um, you know, they, they roll out the red carpet for him. Then he will have his full decision-making process really begin. But right now I think the kid's enjoying it. <laughs> I mean, he's down at the peach jam right now. I think he's enjoying it. Absolutely. I mean, it's gotta be nice to be the main attraction at, you know, by far the biggest EYBL event and really, probably sort of the, the gem of the summer, I would say. This is the event that everybody kind of waits on. Um, you know, most of the best of the best are there. Obviously, you don't see get to see the Adidas guys or any of the Under Armour guys, but the EYBL is the premier summer circuit, and this is the premier event. So it's got to be nice to be the, the headliner of that, along with, I don't know if you've seen the stampede he was causing, but Bronny James is playing on the Peach Jam. And uh, yes, people, I, my gosh. Yeah, I... Um, I seen where Jeff Goodman mentioned how much his game has improved and it'll be curious now if he blows up too much, does he even attend college is the question. It's definitely an interesting thought. I mean, I'm still considering the idea that the NBA at some point is going to change this rule. We've been hearing it for probably about four or five years now that they're getting close to getting rid of the one and done. I don't know when it happens, but Again, you have to you have to believe it's coming over the next couple of years, especially the way a lot of these NBA scouts are scouting. I mean, we've seen the guys at the you guys hear me? Oh, yeah. Mr. Adams, <laughs> there he is. Hey, round of applause. <laughs> oh, man. You gotta love the internet, right? I um I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm on my, hey, we I'm got on my laptop upstairs now. Oh, there we go. Uh you sound oh, great, by I, the way. You sound Teddy Valentine. Yes, sir. Teddy, TV Teddy. We had questions abound about Mr. TV Teddy. He seems like a, an enigma. He's almost like a character out of a wrestling script. So we all want to know about him. What is TV Teddy like? Um, honest to God, you're asking the wrong guy. Oh, okay. My, uh, my grandmother told me a long time ago, never to say anything about anyone Unless it was going to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, point well taken. You know what? I well, think I, you have. The... Go ahead. He's a referee. It's just a handful from an administrative standpoint. Right. Absolutely. You know what? You sound just like the majority of uh, people that we hear about him in every college, everything college basketball family. Um He's a character. I, I'll say something very nice about him. He's a character. Um, he does love the 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 showtime aspect of it. I will say that about him. Uh-huh. <laughs> I will say that. Very accurate. Very, very accurate. Um, we have some Facebook questions for you here. Um, a lot of IU people, as obvious, the Indiana fan base is large and boisterous at times, and they've got a great team coming in this year. We've talked a little bit about and we'll discuss further as the season gets closer but they want to know 
do you have any good Bob Knight stories of working with him? Uh, they want to know about any relationship you may have had with the legendary general Robert Montgomery Knight. Absolute true story. Um, when Knight was working for ESPN, um, he approached me and wanted to talk about refereeing. We had a very cordial meeting. Um, I wrote a follow-up article in Referee Magazine. Very flattering of Coach Knight. His secretary called me about two weeks later, saying, Coach Knight wants to talk to you. Well, number one, he's not my coach. Number two, he was always Bob Knight to me. So he gets on the phone and he says, I just want you to know you are now Zed to me. Z-E-N-Z. And hung up. <laughs> so one of us is not a well man. <laughs> uh, that sounds... This is, uh, probably, this is probably 2012. This sounds from... I've never had the pleasure of meeting, but obviously hearing the stories, the legend of Bob Knight, that sounds very on par with Coach Knight. Uh, just very simple. You know, Hey, you're, you're dead to me. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're dead to me. <laughs> That's great. Is any, I, I mean, you said the article that you wrote was very flattering of him. Was there was. any idea or anything that you can think of in your brain that maybe gives you an inkling of what he was upset in about? Or? I said, um, he and I got to Indiana about the same time. I moved from New York in 1973 in Indianapolis. Married a girl from here and I've been here ever since. Um, I said, when I was refereeing, I would have loved to have talked to him, but I was so scared to try to go get an appointment that I never did it. And he got all upset that I was scared and I didn't ask for an appointment and life goes on. So, so uh, that's the whole thing. So we just popped up on the on the screen. We have the rolling comments. We'll highlight some of them. Um, one of our Facebook users poignantly puts it: "Typical Bob Knight, nothing but a miserable old prick." Uh, well, their words, well, not mine. Well, that's but... what my grandmother said. He's <laughs> I mean, uh, not healthy right now, so yeah. there's no point in kicking him all his down. Yeah, he just moved back to Bloomington. What was it a year and a half ago? Yeah. Two years ago? Yeah, he's he's back in the state now. Um, it, what it was it about Bob Knight that, uh, just seems so intimidating that he, you just mentioned yourself that you were scared to set up a meeting with him. What do you think it was about his personality that one so five nine and he's about six, four, two seventy. So that's part of it. I mean, he's a very intimidating person physically. And then he looks right through you when he's talking to you. But man, um, I think we've. I think we've all seen those eyes in game or seen the documentaries where he locks in on a player. Yeah, if those looks could kill, there'd be a lot of dead people, I think. Well, think about how many people in Indiana don't even know who he is anymore. Which is mind-blowing because I grew up in Indiana and I hear the legend. And I would, I've obviously watched him. Um, right. I grew up – I. Uh, was born in 89, so I've seen him all throughout the 90s up until his firing. I see him at Texas Tech. But you hear my dad and uh, people before that, 
Bob Knight was so revered. I've read books, um, the the classic season on a Brinks uh, book yeah. about the, I think it was the 85 Indiana team. Um, you just hear these stories from all the people from generations before me where Indiana and Bob Knight was so revered that they would have to go um, hold like open practices at places like Newcastle. And there'd be 10,000 people there in the gym Absolutely. just so they could get a glimpse of Bob Knight. Um, super revered here to this point where people still – I, that's why I feel bad for the previous Indiana coaches because you're always going to be compared to that man. Always. No matter how good you are, you're always going to be compared to him. And yeah, fair in, or not. In his, day, in his day, he did a hell of a job. No argument. How Absolutely. he did it and how he treated people made me another story. I, I think that's absolutely true words. Um, Bob Knight, I think we could do a whole two-hour podcast on Bob Knight alone and stories. Um, great. I, I still can't get over it. That's great. Uh, that's great. Just called you. You're dead to me. Done. <laughs> Boom. By the way, by the way, so is John Feinstein. Oh, not yet, because he's the, one, the writer uh, and well, author yeah. of Season on the Brink. Feinstein is down with Bob uh, Knight. I'm I'm sure the list of people that Knight has called and said you're dead to me is uh is fairly long and illustrious at this it's point. It's not really bad company, man. No, def- <laughs> I would say it's probably better company to be on that list than to not be on that list. As a matter yeah, of fact, I, you know, who knows? I'm, uh, <laughs> life goes on, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, while we're on the topic, though, Phil, and I'll let you get some of your stuff, but this just jogs my memory. While we're on the topic of Indiana, Bob Knight, Purdue, um, what are some of your memories of calling some of those? It, you know, the Indiana, Purdue, while Bob Knight's there, Gene Cady, what are some of your memories? Because as you know, well, listen, I'll tell you my, first, my, um, my bio. In 1989, my second year in Division One, I hurt my knee. I had a surgery. Look like we froze again. Hopefully it comes right back. We're on a good little run there. Oh, there we go. Cool. So I never worked at a high level in Division One. Okay. Got it. Got it. I was on the administrative side from 99 to 08 with the Horizon League, the Great Lakes Valley, and the Heartland Conference. I ran their officiating. Okay. Um, and that led, and that led to the NCAA job. Oh, that's it's those, those paths. I always find it interesting the path to what leads somebody. It's like the baby steps. You start here, you move here, you move to the next step, the next step, and then you finally wind up at the the top spot of whatever profession you're in. I, I love the origin stories. Uh, Phil, I know you've got some stuff for for John. Well, I'm a little bit curious, just sort of, you know, digging into that origin story type thing. You know, John, you mentioned that you you had a knee injury your second year in Division One, um, which kind of led to you heading to the administrative side. I'm, I'm curious, how did you sort of, I guess, how were you able to make that jump so quickly, not having a ton of experience? at Really, you know, really interesting and true story. Um, I was in the real estate business for 25 years, commercial real estate. We built high-rise office buildings, and I filled them up. And if you're able to fill up high-rise office buildings, you make a very good living. In 1999, John LeCrone, who was the commissioner of then the Midwest Collegiate Conference, now the Horizon League, came to me and said, I have a business problem. 
I'm the inventor of fish manning, and I have to spend less money. Can you do that for me? I said, sure. Count me in. And that's how I got in to managing a fish manning. And Just like I learned, that. I learned who can referee. I talked to coaches. And first year was okay. Second year was great. From then on, we just got better and better. Now, did you have on top? I'm going to play off Phil's question, then Phil, I'll go back to you. So, do you have like a bat or background in basketball prior? Did you grow up watching the sport, playing it? Did, yeah, so I mean, did you I have some base level? No, I was a referee okay. from right. 1973 to 1989. Okay, and then that made Playing in junior okay. high, high school, small college, Division One. Okay, I was just clearing that, uh, clarifying that for you, uh, or for our audience. I'd had a question come in. And, oh, by the way, when I finished at the NCAA, I was on Tom Crean's staff and I knew for two years. My first year, 15-16, we won the Big Ten. My second year, 16-17, uh, we got fired. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and what was your official role on that staff, John? I was the officiating consultant. And did that just involve sort of having meetings with Kareem maybe before games about certain officials and how they were going to call games or just sort of that type of uh, thing? Or yeah, what sort of did that position entail? I was in every practice, um, every home game, and at halftime, I would meet Tom, tell him my observations, and then go individually talk to the players. And did that for two years. And I learned so, more about basketball in those two years than in all my 20 before that. That says a lot. Uh, so so basically at like halftime, you would tell t Coach Crean, um, for instance, like Noah Vonley, like, hey, Noah's, uh, you know, you got to keep him the hand checking in the post or you got to keep no, him. I might tell him, look, every time Lamont Simpson is under the basket, he calls a foul on any contact. So when he's under the basket, drives them all. That's and we're gonna do that. Wow. And that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a brilliant it's not often because we focus so much on like assistant coaches, the associate head coach, the director of recruiting. The fact that Tom uh, had the wherewithal and other programs have that. I think that's such a huge asset that I don't think a lot of people that pay attention to college basketball understand. Uh, that, that's a huge asset to have a, a former referee and director of the referees right there with you to explain what they're seeing from the vantage point. Well, and sort of piggybacking off of that real quick, and you may not know this, John, but is that, you know, that's the first I've ever sort of heard of that kind of position. Do you know of any other schools that do that type of thing? Uh, Cincinnati. Okay. Cincinnati uses an older NBA referee by the name of Mike Mathis to do the same thing. But I don't know of anyone else doing it. Yeah, no, that's, it's super interesting. And like Josh said, it's just, it's very kind of thinking ahead of the game and, you know, playing chess instead of checkers, trying to get every single advantage you can get, you know, because if you know the way the officials are going to call the game, that's, that's huge. Yeah. When, uh, I mean, when Tom was at, at Georgia, um, I went text and telephone with him quite often. But evidently not often enough. <laughs> <laughs> that was a – I thought – okay, so I thought Coach Crean would be okay at Georgia. 
I Fine. didn't expect it to go the way it did. I mean, especially after you got like guys like Anthony Edwards in them. Yeah. But I guess that's another story for another day. Yeah, uh, you have to talk to Anthony Edwards and Coach Green. <laughs> right, right. We, I mean, we'd love to get Anthony Edwards on here soon. Um, so I want to talk to you, and I know Phil, I think, is going there as well. Being the director of basketball officiating for the NCAA, um, I would assume part of your job is helping pick out the tournament officials, correct? That was how the end of every season, that was it. That was the culmination for me. Okay. And I was so, 100, 100 officials to start in the tournament. So could you explain to our audience um, the process of picking the these, I guess you would call them the best officials, because I'm sure you're wanting the, the top of the top to officiate the biggest tournament that our sport has. Uh, could you explain the process of how you grade the officials throughout the year to determine if they're good enough to officiate in the NCAA? Well, there were four people that worked for me, plus myself. And we were getting a working list from every automatic qualifier about who they think should work the tournament. We put all those names together. We were going to watch every one of them referee in person. We had an evaluation form that started with mobility. If a guy couldn't run, we didn't watch him any longer. And that was a bit of a change from the old days to when I came on board. I thought we should be able to run in order to be able to get plays right. And, and that negatively affected probably 10, 15 older guys that have worked the tournament forever. So we had, in my seven tournaments, we had 55 new referees in the tournament, at least once. So our, and, and the, the grading of getting plays right was a straight up curve every year. We got a little better every year. But you actually go, go to the game, sit there, watching our referee, take a bunch of notes, and then evaluate them in your hotel room that night. So you are almost, this is so fascinating. This is why I love the fact that we have you on to break this down, because this is another side that we don't either pay attention to or get the access to. So in a way, you are almost like an equivalent to an AAU coach or, a, excuse me, a college coach going to an AAU tournament to scout players. Absolutely. A little higher level, but yes. That's, that is fascinating. And I love the fact that you brought up mobility because absolutely being a player myself in the high school and then after I got out of school and then watching games, it kills me when refs, it just seems like do not make the effort. Um, they want to trail and you can't see the advantage point. So the fact that you listed mobility being the number one priority, if the, the uh, official can't get up and down the floor and get in the right positions, um, I think it shows that you were on the right track with that. Um, so then is there a great, I know you mentioned that you take notes and is there some kind of like ranking system that you do? Is there like a X, this official is like the number one, you know, rated ref in our, in our opinion in college basketball all the way down or to, how does that work? Well, we didn't rank them one to a hundred. Um, from my perspective, the farther the tournament went along, in other words, after Dayton, 
and after that first round, all right, I wanted guys that were pretty used to being on some kind of big stage. In other words, I wanted as many guys I could get after the first round games from the ACC, the SEC, um, the Big East, the Pac-12, the six big conferences. Those guys are used to being in big arenas, big crowds, high-profile coaches. Those were the guys I wanted to try to find to move on in the tournament. Phil, so while yeah, the pool, oh, so while the pool was a hundred in the beginning, it was really only about fifty that were going to advance. One well, sort of, you know, again, piggybacking off of just the process for grading officials, I've seen you talk about in a few of your uh, officiating seminars, and uh, you know, I read a couple articles. You talk about how managing major moments was a huge factor for you in, in grading an official. How much did that weigh in? You know, does that Obviously, it's not going to completely outweigh they, the way they officiate the rest of the game. But is, is there, you know, is it a 50-50 type thing? Is it not quite that much? Um, well, there are three elements common to every good sports official. Number one, they get players right. They can't get players right Why are you there. Secondly, you have to be an adequate communicator. You don't have to put your arm around anyone. You don't have to hug someone. You don't have to throw hug them. But you have to be an adequate communicator. And then third, you have to manage major moments. Now, every game does not have a major moment. When Duke plays North Carolina a and there aren't going to be any major moments. <laughs> yeah. They just aren't. But when Duke plays Carolina... There's going to be more than one. Absolutely. And how that referee or that refereeing crew handles that major moment might determine whether or not they even go to the tournament. In other yeah, words, go back to my, my big stage theory. I want guys that can perform on a big stage. That, that's so fascinating. Uh, and it makes sense. It really does. Um, I think it's easy for us to sit back and criticize officials, um, especially long-term ones. But the fact that they're constantly being watched, constantly being graded. Um, did you ever run into issues, especially with some maybe the tenure guys and you keep bringing in new guys? Did you ever run into issues when it got close to tournament time and selecting the officials, especially as you move on into the deeper rounds? a Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, etc. Did you ever have any of the officials maybe try to, I wouldn't say bribe you, that's not it, but maybe try to like, hey, John, you know, how, how am I doing? Like, am I doing all right? Trying no, to, I had their, their, good their bosses would always call. <laughs> their coordinators, not them. They'd say, hey, you know, um, so-and-so's getting a little longer than two. Can you put them in the Final Four this year? And I'd say, you know, no. Not doing that, but <laughs> nice try. Yeah. It was never the referee, no. Always so it, was their always, boss. it was always their bosses. And, and I would imagine the same way conference has, um, like, the bragging rights, if this conference gets more teams than this You're conference. You're right. You're right on the money. 
Right. What so like, on? yeah. So like, I would imagine it's the bragging right. So like, if this yep. boss has X number of officials and he can get eight of them into the second weekend and beyond, then he can have the bragging rights over another official, you know, boss. You're 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 right on the money. It happened all the time, and they would put out reports after the tournament. Uh, what like uh, reviewing the reports or just kind of? We had thirteen officials, and five of them were here, four here, and four were in the final four. So it's almost like they were hanging banners for having a banner year themselves. Uh, yeah. Well, the, <laughs> the ladies one, not the referees. They're by and right. large, referees are really good people. I mean, they really are. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't doubt that a bit. Um, I, I guess I meant more like the conferences are so competitive that they're, you know, they're even down to the officiating. Uh, hey, we got they, 13 they went, in this they year. Would, they went through their own horn after the tournament. All of them. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's so fun. Um let me ask Phil. I'll let you go. I'll let you go now, and then I'll I'll pick it back up. Yeah. So just sort of speaking about officiating and conferences, we hear all the time, you know, or all the time the past, I guess, twenty two years now since the Big Ten has won a national title, that you know one of the main excuses is that the Big Ten is officiated so differently during conference play than the rest of the country is, and that then the officiating is in the NCAA tournament. Is it officiated that differently? And and if not, you know, what do you think has played into that public perception? Well, my grandmother's not going to be happy with me. <laughs> um, I think the Big Ten officiating is probably the worst return on investment in the officiating business. Referees at the top level, round numbers, all right, round numbers had about $4,000 a game. So every Big Ten game, Big East game, Big 12, ACC, SEC, Pac-12, those guys are getting a combined $12,000. Now, when I watch a Big 12 game, an ACC game, or a Big East game, I think those are the benchmarks for how games ought to be officiated. I think the SEC is getting there and it's pretty close. I think the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are wasting their money. Now, the Big Ten has three to five guys that can really referee. The Pac-12 has three to five guys that can really referee. But those other leagues have 10, 15, and 20 guys that can really referee. And the reason I know is that it's rare for anyone from the Big Ten to go referee anywhere else. You know where, You know the only other high-profile league they go to? Pac-12. Ah, they stay in that. Yeah, that, that makes they sense. They stay in that lower tier all the time. And with the Big Ten, they're notorious for physicality, um, allowing a lot of bumping, beating. I mean, it's it's a very throwback league. Um, and it does when, not doesn't translate well when you get in the tournament. No, especially when it's a wide open um, type of greyhound race type of game. 
Um, and and it, it makes up a good point, though, uh, you know, mentioning the Big Ten and the physicality. So when a Big Ten official gets selected for the NCAA, and let's say you pair them with uh, two SEC guys or an SEC and a Big 12 guy. It's a Big Ten, SEC, Big 12. Are there any conflict between those three? I'm not like externally like yelling, screaming, but because they come from different styles of officiating in their respective conferences, is are there any differences that you see amongst them where one, like the Big Ten guy might let some stuff go, but the SEC and Big 12 guy look at each other like, that's a foul all day, every day. Well, I don't know what they're talking about at halftime. But I'm sure that's part of the conversation. When they get in the locker room, the three of them will sit down and say, hey, wait a minute. That foul you called on 15 was his third foul. You hardly touched them. What is going on? And they'll work it out and hopefully come out in the second half and all be on closer to the same page. Here's so what you, you want. You want the same play called the same way Every night in every conference. That's the goal. Yep. That was my goal. That was Hayden Collins' goal. That'll be the next guy's goal. But as long as you have the leagues hiring and assigning, think about this. This would be like if you're in the NBA and you want to play the Knicks, the Knicks pick the referees. Then when you go to Chicago, Chicago picks the referees. And when you go to San Francisco, oh my, they fix the referees. And that's what college basketball is. Yeah, and like you said, if that just happened in the NBA, nobody would ever, yeah, nobody would ever put up with that, you know, if that was the NBA. When they do it in college. Sort of piggybacking off something, something you said a little bit earlier about how the conferences, you know, take pride in how many officials they have advancing in the tournament and that sort of thing. This is just pure speculation on your part, but why do you think the Big Ten and the Pac-12 haven't been able to fix their officiating problem and get to the same level as the other leagues then, you know, when there is sort of this pride taken and having officials advance and being in that highest level? From my perspective, you can trace any deficiency in any organization to leadership. I, I don't think the leadership of the officiating program in the Big Ten is in very good hands. I think the Pac-12 problem is completely different. They have a pretty good guy running their program, but they are so conscious of being politically correct that they, they don't hire the right people in my mind. So when you say that, let's use the Big Ten for example. So when you say that, do you think it is just as simple as a guy continually misses calls, makes mistakes, but they don't want to say anything to him to tell him he needs to get better, or they just don't care? I actually think that the fellow in the Big Ten thinks his officiating program is the best in the country. So, told me, uh, you told me that before I left. And so I it, laughed it, it, at him. And from then on, I don't think he and I have been very good friends. 
<laughs> so it's it's essentially an ego thing then is that he, he thinks that he's teaching it the way that it should be taught and that everybody else is wrong versus right. looking a, in the mirror and seeing okay he was on Fimo Brian's staff at Ohio State all well, the rest of the coordinators in the whole country are former referees so that explains it all he's so used to being well, all the been a hell of a lot of it so he's so used to being the man and expect, yeah, that makes sense now. Um, I want to ask you something because it's brought up all the time. We see it in big games, whether it be a regular season contest between a top 10 opponents or especially in the tournament. When, uh, for example, I'll use Kentucky, Indiana, Sweet 16, 2012, the year Kentucky wins the title, for example. We're so everybody's excited for the rematch. Indiana, you know, the watch shot happens. They finally rematch in Atlanta. It's going to be a big time game. Within the first four minutes, Anthony Davis, Cody Zeller, both two fouls apiece. They've got to set the rest of the first half. You go back and watch the fouls, they're not really that bad of fouls. They probably could have been played on. When you see officiating like that, determine, not necessarily determine, but take away from what we're there to watch. Um, you being the, when you were the director of officials and now in your seat, what do you think, what goes through your head when you see that? Um, if you could talk me through that. Well, 2012, it was on my watch, if you're, to be honest. Um, do you have any chance to remember who the refs were? Um, I can look it up real quick. Well, look, it, look up it up and then, um, that's actually how I met Coach Cream was that summer, he asked me to come down and look at the film from that game. Now, I won't tell you what we discussed, because that's between Tom and I. But um, the only time I would ever talk to referees in the tournament before the game was the Final Four. And here's what I told them. The game is better when the better players are playing. Absolutely. Um, I've got your officials for that game. It was referees Mark Whitehead, Ed Corbett, and Ray Natale. Boy. Well, Whitehead um, would probably four more fouls than the other two. Natale's kind of a hard-nosed young guy, not young anymore. And Corbett was getting near the end of his career. Um, I don't remember the game. Was that a um, regional game? Uh, it was Sweet 16. It was down at Atlanta. Uh, Kentucky was a one seed. Indiana was a four. Um, and everybody excited because of the matchup in the regular season. Right. Indiana hits the game winner. And it was exciting. It still ended up being exciting. Kentucky wins 102-90. But it's just you you want to see the best players play and it determined on the floor. And then when you have situations like that where if you go back and watch the game – Neither guy really, of the, the four fouls that they got to a piece, neither guy really did anything that seemed egregious enough to be called a foul. And now they've got to sit for 18 minutes left to go in the first half. I, I, I honestly, and I'm not ducking it because you know I'm winning. I, I don't remember. I was probably at another regional and might have seen a little bit of it on a monitor. Um, back in those days, we went from regional site to regional site um, each day. And I don't think I was in Atlanta then for that. So I well, don't remember I, it very well. Well, I, I guess I didn't mean that game specifically. I was using well, that I'm, as an example. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm been a fan. 
I've been a fan since 2015. I'm 100% on your side. 100%. If you follow me on Twitter when I'm watching games live. Oscar Combs. Yeah, much of people do. I'll say it. That's not right. a foul. Or you're going to put a second or third foul on somebody's best player. It ought to be pretty damn obvious. There ought to be a body lying on the ground. <laughs> and, and, and I appreciate that honest answer. Um, I, I think a lot of fans just, when you watch games, you want to see it determined on the floor. And then sometimes, it don't happen a lot, but sometimes you do get these games where it does seem like officials think that the crowd's there to watch them. And I was just more curious of when you see that happen, either under your watch or now as a fan, kind of the thought process of it. And you so adequately mentioned it. <laughs> if it's going to be a I'm second a or third foul. Yeah, I'm a fan now. And, and occasionally, for amusement purposes only, I don't even know what the spread is. Ah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it happens for... to me legally. Here you go, man. Legal in Indiana. <laughs> Heck yeah. Hey. I got mine. I got mine too. They're not sponsoring us yet. They need to, but hey, I'm on FanDuel, so it's all good. I'm on FanDuel. Oh, hey, don't be taking my money. Gambling <laughs> <laughs> uh, money knows no home, man. That is true. It, it changes hands very quick. But yeah, I'm You're way not- more a fan now than I was, obviously, when I was an administrator. And um, I'm with you. I want guys on the floor. When you mentioned that that summer was sort of where your relationship with Tom Crean started, how much communication did you have with coaches while you were actually still in your position as the coordinator of officiating? Did you deal with coaches, you know, very much at all, or was it more? All the time. All the time. Um, Every game I went to, and I would go to 50 regular season games, right? I would visit with both coaches before the game and simply let them know I was there and ask them, what can we do to make the game better? Every night, I would ask that question. And I had a notebook of ideas. And the problem with ideas is, from coaches, there's a recency bias that the last idea you heard is now the best. So I would never react till the season was over. I might tinker with a few things, but it wasn't fair to change the national officiating scope in the middle of the season. Right, right. You don't want to start a whole new system middle of the season. That makes sense. Um, I, you mentioned earlier about how things had changed from when you first got into officiating all the way up until um, you were no longer the director of officials. I want to ask you about a couple changes along the way through the decades and through time, um, specifically when they added, they went to three officials. For a long time, it was two. Then they added the third one. Um, how that do you think that... 1987, by the way. Right. How do you think that changed the game, and did it change it for the better, adding an extra official? Well, interestingly enough, over the last 50 years, the one stagnant statistic is the number of fouls per game. And it's about 37 fouls per game. And that, you know, back over 50 years, it might be one better, one worse. But that 37 kind of stays as the baseline. 
So adding three officials, you can see more. You probably get more important fouls called, but it hasn't affected the number of fouls called in the game. Which is fascinating because... Absolutely are... fascinating. Oh, if oh, someone oh. pointed that out to me, I did not believe it. And I did my research and there it was. So, which is amazing because you would think adding an extra official, they'd be more likely to call more fouls just because you see more of the floor, more of the play developing and all that. I want to ask you about another thing because it's always a, a topic of conversation. Every year, we get it multiple times a game now. When they added going to the replay monitor and standing there for two, three, four, five minutes to review a call. Um, how did that change things? And what were your thoughts on it when a when a referee crew or the officiating crew, excuse me, are at the monitor replaying a, the same play over and over and over and over? Um, I guess your your thoughts on the the replay monitor and going over there. Well, I helped write the rule. All right. It's rule eleven. And I helped write it. And I would hate it. <laughs> Look it what you created. Me, if it was up to me, the only time you would go to the monitor would be if there was a fight to see who you have to throw out or anything you want to do in the last minute, go look. I don't care what it is. In the last minute of the game, go look. Otherwise, no monitor. I, no, that's absolutely, I, th I think that's a, a pretty common sense answer. I mean, we all want to get every right call, but there's no point it's in taking eight minutes to review a, an out-of-bounds play with 10 minutes left in the game. You know what I mean? And, and, sometimes, and sometimes, Phil, and then I, it's like we, we see these games, it happens multiple times a week in these games where it's, all right, you stop to play, go check the monitor, you're there for three minutes, return to action 30 seconds later, oh, we got to go back to the monitor, we'll stay there another three minutes. It's like a, a two-hour game all of a sudden becomes a three-hour game because all the time spent looking at it. Do you know how many Division two and Division three games are playing every night with no monitors? Oh, all of them, right? All of them. And they hit a winner and they hit a loser. Good. Fair point. Now, <laughs> fair point. Well, the only thing I was saying about replay, fans all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, how important? How wait a minute. How important is one point or two points? It, it's worth a couple hundred dollars, depending on how much you bet. Well, and times how many people are betting across the whole country? A lot. That that's a if, great. If you don't think gambling influences how games are presented and not officiated but monitored, then you're not paying attention. That's a that's a great point. You hear um, old older heads is what we like to call them nowadays, but they mention it all the time gambling is a billion dollar industry. It definitely influences not just college basketball but sports in general. If you can bet on it, you can bet it's going to be an influential part of the game. If you can bet on it, they're going to scrutinize as many players as they can. Absolutely, one hundred percent agree. And all you have to do is watch baseball. Football, the NBA. I think college basketball, of all of them, does the worst job of replay. We uh, have way uh, too many, way too many things to, to look at. By far, 
by far. At least in the NFL, you can uh, you only get a, a challenge flag <laughs> once and twice, maybe if you if you get and, and, a, and a time limit to do it. Yep, and a time limit. And I, I, what do you think about a time limit? Obviously, it sounds like you're on the same page as us and the rest. The majority of people watch college basketball and enjoy the sport. Um, do you feel like there should be a time limit? Because some of these calls, you, you, we watch it from the the TV monitor, not TV monitors, but we watch it from our screens, whether it be ESPN, Fox, CBS, or whatever. And yeah. it's clear as day. Hey, the ball went out on number thirty-one. The uh, the ball went out on Duke or whoever. But these officials stand at the monitor forever, looking at this. If it's not clear and obvious within one minute, let's play on, man. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for uh, speaking for all of us who are not officials. Phil, I I'm know I cut you off. I'm like a you fan. Hold it. I am a fan. I root. <laughs> I have teams I actually like now. Ah, who is your team? Not telling you. Uh, okay. That's, no, that's, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I, I think I have an idea. Based upon your Twitter actions, but I'm not going to spoil it on air. I'll talk to you off air about it. <laughs> I happen to like the Kentucky Wildcats. I knew it. I knew it, Phil. But, I knew it. <laughs> but long to spend some of Indiana. If Tom was still in Indiana, I would never be a Kentucky Wildcats fan. <laughs> The only reason okay. I guess it is because I see you interact. By the way, I'm a Kentucky fan. Uh, no, for our fan base, they know, but for new listeners, I, I'm as hard on them as anybody. I'm fair with them. We cover the sport. I have to be fair, and I'm fair. But lifelong Kentucky fan, and I see you in the last year or so interact on Twitter with the legendary Oscar Combs. So I kind of had a what a wonderful it, guy he is, isn't he? Yeah, I've never met him, but I've seen oh. enough and read about him. Um, yeah, tremendous. Nobody knows well, Kentucky basketball more than Oscar. I'm sure I can arrange for you to meet Oscar if you'd like to do it. Um, yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we don't we would love to have twice. Oscar on the show. Well, yeah. we're him on the show. No, I'll, I'll talk to him. Oh, when we're done, we'll talk about it. Tremendous. Uh, I've got so many Kentucky stories I'd love to talk to him about. But, Phil, um, I know we got a few more questions, and then we got to get out of here. Phil, I cut you off just a minute ago. Go ahead with what you had. Yeah, it was just sort of along the lines of, you know, reviewing that stuff. You sort of played that, um, you know, Mike Pereira role for some of the tournament games right. where, you know, they would call you in to do some on-air explanations. Yeah. Uh, you know, what was your experience sort of like with that? Um, and I loved it. The... It, was, it was unbelievably fun. The guys at Turner and the guys at CBS were wonderful people to work with. The problem was, the NCAA wanted complete control over any commentary on plays for a game. And television hated that. So that's why they hired, um, what's his name? Serator. Gene Serator, yep. Who works for Turner and CBS, not the NCAA. Exactly. And I work for the NCAA. So he's not he's not bound to to keep anything to himself, right? Which which they like. I got you. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And, and I and I would tell the absolute truth, and the NCAA executives would hate it. <laughs> yeah, people always say they love the truth until you give them the truth, and then they're like, yeah, that's a little too much. Yeah, Phil, you got one last thing before I wrap this up? No, go ahead, man. So I guess the last thing for you. Um, keeping your grandmother's words to you, we will end this on a positive. 
when you look around at a college basketball officiating, we've joked about TV Teddy and other guys. But if you had to name the top two or three officials in college basketball for our audience with, to keep an eye out if they're refing one of your games or a game that you're watching, you don't have to put them in order. Just two or three guys who you think are the top of the top, the cream of the top, the best right now in college basketball. Roger Ayers, Adam Virginia, Tony Virginia from Sacramento, uh, James Greening from Louisville. Uh, They're my top three. Um, and it's just the, just the way they call the game, their accuracy and the fairness, just following and, the rules. And a high level of trust that I would have as a coach if those guys were on my game. Nice. Now, Very nice. there are at least five or six or seven more, but I'm, I don't have all their names on the tip of my tongue. Nice. I, I guess one other thing, and this is more of a joke thing, can Doug Sermons get any tighter T-shirts? I know he's got big arms, but, man, it's like he wears a medium. No, you're thinking about Doug Shows. Oh, Doug Shows. I said Sermons. You're right, Doug Shows. Doug yeah. Shows and Sermons would be in my top ten, by the way. Nice. I, I just remember Doug Shows, and it, like I said, it's more of a just a playful thing. But he's a big dude, and he loves oh, it. Yeah, looks like he a wears a medium. <laughs> he looks like he's, he's jacked. He's like the biggest ref I've seen. He's always jacked, man. An absolutely very, very nice guy who takes a ton of shit from Kentucky fans. Yeah, very much. Trust me. I, I see it in the Big Blue Nation lots. Hey, there's a referee <laughs> to not be named, and I will not drop his name, that is uh, very, very much disliked by the University of Kentucky fans. We will not name his name, but he is a uh, his, he owns a roofing business. I'll just leave that. <laughs> also, yeah, like top think- 10. Yeah. I think I yeah, put I think, him in I put him in seven final fours. Yeah, I noticed he does quite a bit, or he has over the that years. That was me. And that and that that was seven years ago. Yeah. Um yeah. We we won't really, by the way, really good guy. I know that a lot of the big blue nation doesn't buy that, but I'm telling you he's a good man in high and high and I'll take your word for it because you've spent time around me. I haven't. So I will take your word and we'll hold that in high esteem. Um, John, it has been a pleasure. Um, I, I'll say this. You have an open invite. I know you joined the Facebook group. By the way, guys, if you're new to the show here, we have our Facebook group. Um, just go to Facebook.com in your search bar. Type in everything college basketball. Send a request. We'll accept it. The best place in the entire Facebook world to have – 365, 24-7, non-stop college basketball, non-BS discussions. You're not going to get the ESPNs, the Twitter trolls, all that. We do keep it very limited, but you're allowed to speak your mind and have a good time. So go join that. Our friend John Adams is a new member of that. We appreciate having him aboard the ECB family. John, this has been great. We went longer than I thought we would. I learned a ton from the referee standpoint that I had no idea about. And like I mentioned, my friend, you have an open invite. Anytime you want to come back, we have a spot for you. Well, Josh and Phil, thanks for having me on. I had a great time. Absolutely. For Phil, for our guest, John Adams, I'm, of course, Josh Burton. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. 
Be on the lookout for episode 116 later on next week. But until then, we hope you guys have a good weekend and we'll catch you down the road.